Good morning. So it's been a few weeks since I've preached. It feels good to be back up here. I, uh, I think, though, I just thought Chad did such a great job with his first sermon on uh, the Good Samaritan. Wasn't that good? And then Toby last week, always good. But um, I just think we have such a wonderful staff. I love this team. Um, but it's wedding season right now. I just I did a wedding yesterday for uh, Marissa Vizelay and uh, and Kevin, and just super fun. Um, the week before that, I was in Boston doing a wedding, and which is where I was last weekend, and, and it was really fun. Um, a little bit of a challenge, right? So this is for family and um, the, just a cousin of Patty's that we deeply love, but. Um, she said, Jeff, we want you to do the wedding, but we prefer a non-religious wedding. And, um, and I always like kind of smile. Like I go, all right, challenge accepted, right? Like, (laughs) because, um, well, it's a little bit, I always picture it like those people that like play chess blindfolded, right? It's like, okay, how do I, how do I give this message? What's what? is at the heart to me of marriage, what's at the heart of life and abundance and beauty. It's all in there, and it's all in marriage. To me, the gospel is like all there in marriage. And, and so it's kind of fun to just take, your, uh, take all the, the Christianese out of it and just hold up the beauty, right? Because typically what people find is uh, it awakens this longing that's there, something that all of us, just as human beings, know deep down is true. And I, uh, she's a philosopher and he's a poet. They're both professors. And so you can imagine the crowd, right? And I love, I love these kind of people. This is like, and so, um, anyway, I had just some great conversations afterward, but, um, but somebody came up to me and he said, you know, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a pastor. And he's like, oh, like what kind of church? And I told him about our church and he goes, you know, Jeff, I don't disagree with Christianity. I just find that it doesn't go deep enough. And I thought, gosh, that's one for us to think about. And I thought, God, you know, I wonder what's, you know, kind of a little bit, ask him some questions a little bit more, what was behind that. But, but he knew what he longed for, this kind of love. My, like, go-to to, like, sneak in the gospel is Rilke. I don't know if you've read, and this is a bunch of poets, right? But Rilke talks about this deep beauty. And Rilke was a devout believer. And um, and it awakens something in there that these people are after. And I quoted Chesterton to him saying, you know, uh, Chesterton would say that Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. And he you know, I kind of paused and went, okay, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> who knows where that will lead, right? But... But I think for us, it's important for us to hear a word like that, like Christianity doesn't seem to go deep enough, because I think we are the manifestation of this. We are the fruit of this. We are the light that is shining. And if the light's not going deep enough, if the fruit doesn't taste right, that's for us to go back and check, like, am I leaning in to the work that God is doing? Am I walking the narrow road? And, and the indicator of this, I think, is always going to come down to how we love. And not just how we love, who we love. And I think Paul does a wonderful job of, of boiling this down to this is the essential ingredient. You could speak with an angelic voice 
And if there's not love, it's a clanging symbol. Eugene Peterson says it's a squeaky gate, (laughs) right? Beautiful words without love. And love seems to be the thing that is at the core, like we would call it, you know, the, the sine qua non, without which nothing. If you don't have love, it's empty. And today's parable to me is, is another way of capturing this idea of God's love and how he loves and how really honestly foreign it is to us. How our way of loving is often so different, so much shallower than God's. And the parables to me challenge this idea. It kind of plays into what we assume and then shows us, oh no, it goes much further than we imagine. And the parable today is a short little one, but it's the parable of the lost sheep. And with this, it's a way of God getting to the heart. It's very similar to the prodigal son. It even points a little bit at the good Samaritan. But Jesus is saying, this is how to love. And what I love about this parable is he's inviting us to imagine ourselves, not just as the sheep, but as the shepherd. That although we are the one who God comes and finds, we eventually become the ones who go find the lost. And when we think about getting lost, I think today it's not so common, right, for us to get lost because we always have a phone in our pocket that tells us where we are, right? We have this map program, so we're never lost, which is not true, right? I was just in Boston, and oh my gosh, I can't tell you how many times Siri's telling us to go a certain way, and you're like, there's no off-ramp. We're on a turnpike, and you're saying, take a right, and we're like, we can't get off this thing for two miles, right? So you, you have all this instruction, and you find yourself going, does she know, or is, she, is Siri lost? We went through a long tunnel, and all of a sudden the direction's changed, right? And we're like, I think you get off here. No, 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 I think you're supposed to be over here. And all of a sudden the whole energy in the car becomes this like constant bickering of who knows the right way to go, right? And Siri keeps telling us to like, make a U-turn, and you're like, ah. And this to me is, I think, kind of what it feels like to be lost, this anxiety, this like impatience, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Have any of you felt that way? And you're like, and we're all like at each other's throat. And then all of a sudden we find the right way to go. And then we all look at each other like, sorry about that. <laughs> right? You just like lost your composure. It's horrible feeling lost. It creates all this kind of inner turmoil. And um, yeah, I look at the world right now and I think that's kind of all I hear, right? All I hear is this kind of inner turmoil, this anxiety. And I think, oh my gosh, we're all lost. All of us are trying to figure out where to go and Siri's barking orders and maybe she's wrong. Maybe she's right. I don't know. And we're all kind of trying to interpret the right way to go. But I think you feel this lostness. And that term is something that is used again and again in scripture to refer to this state of being disconnected from God. And I, I like that. It, it's, I mean, sometimes we think of it as like a brokenness. Sometimes we think of that as an inner sickness. And I think it is like that, this kind of fallen nature. But lost to me is a good way of describing it. This thing of value that, that is somehow missing. And when we think about this, this state of being lost, you know, I, I think we often picture it as the person who's 
committing some sort of sin, right? The, we think of like in Chad's message, the prodigal son that's leaving in rebellion. And I think this is a way of being lost, the person that wanders, the person that leaves, the person that has the opportunity and forsakes it and goes off seeking their own pleasure. But what I think is so fascinating about that parable is what you find out in the end is the one that Jesus is really worried about is the son that remained at home, that he stayed and yet was lost that we can be doing what we imagine as all the right things and find that our hearts are disconnected, that we're not experiencing the intimacy of God, how we're meant to thrive and function. And when we're cut off like that, I think scripture is clear. It is impossible for us to love the way that God loves. In order to do that, we have to receive love and give love. That is how it functions throughout scripture. We receive the love of God and we give it. And when we're lost, we're broken and we're cut off. And what happens is we shrink and we get small. I want to read our parable. I'm going to read first from Luke and then a little bit later, I'm going to go and take a look at Matthew's because they, they talk, they basically have the same story, but there's quite a bit of difference in these two. And so we'll look first at Luke's gospel, chapter 15, verses one through seven. It says this, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The word of the Lord. Now, Chad said something in his sermon that I thought was really good. He said the parable of the prodigal son ought to be really called the parable of the compassionate father. Do you remember that? And I think there's a similar sort of thing that we we tend to focus on this lost son or this lost sheep when in fact this is a parable that's about a good shepherd. What does it mean to be a good shepherd? And we see that in this parable, there's this context around it. And and this is what's a little bit different in Matthew's gospel. In Luke's, we see that there's these Pharisees and there's tax collectors which are like very opposite ends of the spectrum. The, the Pharisees are the ones who probably Jesus is pointing out the righteous, the ones who are clean, or at least assume so, right? This is what they spend their lives doing is being clean, being righteous. In fact, they wouldn't let themselves be contaminated by getting near sinners. And this became sort of their comment about Jesus, that he hung out with all the wrong people. I've said this before, but I remember a professor once saying, I think you could define Jesus' ministry as good food with bad people. Right? It's what Jesus would do. He would sit and he would eat, and he would eat with all the bad people, right? It was terrible for his reputation. And when he was just getting started, the Pharisees were like, 
dude, you need to like clean up the company that you keep. And eventually they're like, he's just another drunkard, right? He's look at who he's hanging out with. But these are the ones that Jesus found compassion towards. So you have these tax collectors on the other side, and these are the people that everyone despises. You despise the tax collectors because they've sold out their people for profit, that the Romans are there and they've occupied Israel, and the tax collectors have made a deal with them, and then they're skimming off the top of it. So they're wealthy, but despised, probably despised by the Romans and the Jews. And so these people are like, you know, dug in, but with no sense of self-worth. And as Jesus tells this parable, you, you can see that he's showing these people, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm all about. That I go and I find the ones who are lost. That's my heart. And I like how in this parable he says, suppose one of you, right? That's how he kind of introduces this. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep. So he's taking them and he's placing them right in the middle of the story. Who are you in this story? Well, Jesus first says, consider yourself the shepherd. Shepherd of about a hundred sheep, which is like average, I guess. If you had a really big you know, group of sheep, you'd have 200, but some had 20, right? So, you know, this is like kind of a modest shepherd that's out there who, when he notices that one is gone, goes himself, leaves his sheep in the country and goes after the one. Now, some have thought, does he abandon his 99? And, and probably not. That's probably reading a little too much into it, right? He, he probably had his assistant shepherd He's like, you handle these guys. I'm going to look. But he looks himself. He goes himself after the one. And as he asks this question, suppose you were the shepherd, what would you do, right? Um, talking about Kelly as the realist, you know, you go, eh, you're going to lose a sheep every now and then, right? <laughs> I'm not saying that's what Kelly would say, but that's probably what most of us would say. Like, you know what? Sometimes you're going to lose a sheep. It's all right. You kind of budget around that, right? That's like, this is just life. Sometimes the sheep gets lost. Um, all, the, all the perfectionists would be like 99. Like, I can't live with 99 sheep. I need 100, right? That's a nice clean number, right? So maybe you're like kind of irritated. You go buy another sheep to round it out so you have 100. Um, I think probably most of us would, would think like the positivist. Like, 99 is a lot of sheep, Right? That let's just focus on the ones we have. Let's throw a party for the 99. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, that's not how I work. Not at all how I work. I go after that one, and I go after it because I love it. In fact, I don't just take that sheep and bring it home. When I do, I go around my neighborhood and knock on all the doors of my neighbors and go, we're having a party tonight because I found that one. I love how in this parable you get this little window into heaven, right? Not all parables do this. They kind of point to the distant future, but in this one, it's specifically referenced. Heaven throws a party when we find that one that is lost, that one that has gone astray. And let me ask you this. Have you ever felt lost in life? This lamb that's out there by itself, they're saying that lambs tend to not wander too long. They eventually stop and give up. 
this little broken-hearted lamb, or maybe it ends up on its back. I, I've showed this picture before, but do you have that picture, Nan? This is what happens to sheep, is they roll over. In fact, this is from a website. If you go online, they're like, if you see a sheep like this, go help it. It's dying, right? That what happens to that sheep when it gets lost or it gets off by itself and it has this tendency to maybe like lay down and then falls onto its back and it can't get over, roll over, and it will eventually die like that. Have any of you felt like that? <laughs> yeah, right? Like last week probably. I, I mean, it, it's such a great picture to me of this sort of helplessness. And I was reading this book that when we were going through Psalm 23, the parable or the Psalm of the Good Shepherd, where David as a shepherd identifies so much with that vocation and says, God is like this, right? And he, he says in there, he restores my soul. And that word restoration would be the same word for like rolling that sheep back over. That God comes and he sees that sheep. And this guy who's writing this book that I was reading is, was a shepherd, had sheep of his own. And he would say when he would see that sheep, his heart would just, like he'd get the biggest smile on his face. And he would look at it and he would think, oh, you little rascal. And I think sometimes when we're sitting there like that, we're just filled with so much shame, embarrassment, and probably should be, right? But we imagine God coming over and going, you idiot. You're such an idiot. Like again, Jeff, you're on your back again? When in fact, this is not God's response at all. That God sees it and goes, oh, Jeff, you little rascal. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord draws near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. This is the love that Jesus is introducing us to and reminding us, by the way, this love is there for you. That is my love. They throw this huge party, and then Jesus talks about one repenting. This is the kind of party that's thrown in heaven when one person repents, which has led commentators to, to puzzle over the fact, like, where did the sheep repent? Is that interesting? And I think sometimes it, even our understanding of repentance is like, as long as we grovel, right? As long as we feel really, really bad, and, and I mean, we should, we should like, wow, look at how grace works. That grace that like pursues and goes after and finds and puts us on his shoulders and carries us home. That's God's love. That's God's grace. It comes after us, comes and finds us, chases us. I love the picture of the father in the prodigal son story running embarrassingly in public girding up his loins and running full speed to his son. A son who's figured out his whole narrative of how he's going to sort of justify his way back in and doesn't even get a word of it out before he's embraced. This is how we love. In Luke's gospel, the parable, I think, is addressed largely to these Pharisees to show them what they're doing wrong. But in Matthew's gospel, it's different. And I think it's because Matthew's a tax collector. 
And when Matthew heard this, he's remembering Jesus coming up to him and saying, follow me. Which would have blown his mind because this is what the rabbis would say to the best students in the class. Follow me. You've got what it takes. It's this way of affirming, you can do what I do. And here's Matthew, just nobody making eye contact with this guy. And Jesus walks up and says, hey, you, follow me. You have what it takes. Matthew would have identified with that lost sheep. And so in Matthew's gospel, he says this. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of the Father who is in heaven. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This picture of love. And I, in, in Luke's context, again, we see the Pharisees. In, in Matthew's context, we see the children. And earlier, Matthew has just commented on that very fact that these children have come running up to Jesus and Jesus is saying, as people try to turn them away, no, 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 these little ones belong. And when he says, do not despise these little ones, I think that we're being taught in a way a very different side of love, but an important one. That God doesn't just draw near to the lost and the brokenhearted, but he draws near to that child. And so often this is the thing for us that we've lost, that we've forgotten how to be a child. That we initially spoke that language like a first language. Remember that? When you were like given an art assignment and you just would go crazy with your crayons and your paint, right? And then pretty soon you realize, oh, I'm not one of the creative ones. And you stop coloring altogether, right? We forget what it's like to be the beloved. We forget what it's like to have that sense of deep security in who we are and to know and understand that love. And we spend the rest of our life trying to prove our value. And Jesus says, oh, like seeing this lost sheep or seeing this little child, this is the way into the kingdom. These are the ones that Jesus is drawn to, the little lambs, the ones that are helpless, the ones who are stuck. And whoever receives a child in his name, whoever goes after the lost or whoever receives a child, they're, they're loving like Jesus loves. And I think for Matthew, this is what he heard from Jesus. This is what was restored. That little child inside of him. Before any of these things that he had done wrong, before any of the compromises and mistakes that he had made, this is who Jesus sees. What a reminder, this is who Jesus sees when he looks at each one of you. Regardless of whether you're lost, regardless of whether you've grown cynical and you've lost that sort of um, joy in your heart and the hopefulness, God looks in and he sees his little child. 
and loves you with the heart of a father. And Jesus shows us this because he's going, this is how I love. This is how you now love. And most of us don't, right? Most of us believe that love is the most important thing, but we give that to the people that love us back. In Luke, he says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. That's hard. That's hard to do, isn't it? Have you ever tried to love somebody that doesn't love you back? Like, it's like scary. It's intimidating, right? Somebody who looks at you kind of with that sort of glare or looks down when you come by. And, and to love that person is so risky. To love that person that might snap back at you or reject that love, it's terrifying. Can be. It requires more of us probably than we can give. And so what we have to do is, is to be freed inside of ourselves from this self-protection. We have to be in this place of rest and security and at peace. And see, this is the thing, this lostness. Dallas Willard is going to say that lostness really at its heart is self-obsession. And so often when we don't know our value, we live in this place of insecurity and it's not humility. Insecurity is just another form of pride. And this thing just eats at our ability to love. That what we need to know instead and receive is God's love for us as that little child that we've been redeemed, we've been brought home, we've been carried home. And then from that place, stop obsessing over ourselves and start noticing the ones that are around us that are lost. I remember a moment of this. I, I think of this when I think over my life. The, the sweetest moments I think I've had with God have happened at times of deep loneliness in my life. And loneliness is painful. I mean, I think of a time when I was like in seventh grade and I had just moved and I, that year was horrible. A joke, I've told you guys this story. I was like the king of fun day in sixth grade. I was like the most popular kid. And in seventh grade, I ate by myself every lunch, right? I didn't know anybody when I had moved. And during that time, I would just like write these Bible verses in my notebook and read them. And I remember the way that God would just draw right close to me in that place. God notices when we're in that place of suffering. God draws near to our broken heart. But as that happens, we also gain this ability to start noticing the lonely people, which I did. And it was as if God was saying, this is what I want you to do, Jeff. I want you to take that bit that I give you and go find somebody that needs it. I'm telling you this. I think if we did this, I think people would find that Christianity goes deep enough. 
that if we just did that, if we went and found the people that are hurting and loved them, I think people would go, okay, yeah, that's the real thing, right? And it's not easy. It requires discomfort. It requires going to these places that we might otherwise avoid. I've heard it said that when God refers to himself as a shepherd, it would have made a certain class of people cringe. It's like God saying, hey, I'm the good day laborer, right? And some people are like, I'm better than that. He's going, you're not. Right? That, that to love in this way, you're going to the places that might cause you discomfort, that might cost you something. He's asking you to live with this sort of sacrificial love. And God's going, this is how I love you. This is how it works. This is what we have to uniquely offer. This is who God is at his heart. And some of you today are thinking, ah, but I just feel so lost, right? And I think that there is a struggle. I don't mean to say that this is just a simple, quick fix. I think there are times where we go through seasons, we feel disconnected. I had a friend say to me recently, Jeff, being safe and being comfortable are not the same thing. I was like, yes, they are. (laughs) I want to be safe and comfortable, right? But what you find is God is our shepherd. goes, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to lead you through times of green pastures and still waters. I'm also going to lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm going to set a banquet for you in the presence of your enemies. God leads us on roads that are not comfortable. And in those places where we find ourselves going, ah, what do I do? God reminds us, I'm with you. There's a prayer by Thomas Merton that I love. As my introduction to this guy was to see this prayer, and I thought, gosh, this is one of the most honest prayers I've ever read. He says this, My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm doing, following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so but I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me. And you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Is that good? It's so honest. Like, uh, I don't know where I'm going. And I think sometimes we feel that way and we feel like we're lost. We feel like we don't know what's next. And God says, keep going. I'm with you. That is the comfort. What's profound about this is I think in this life, we're, we're always moving. We're always traveling. But if God is near us, we are always home. Right? We have that, that God himself becomes that place where we belong. But it's not enough for just us to simply remain there. As Jesus says, suppose that you own a hundred sheep. And I want us to think about this. Who, who is that one that God has asked me to go find? Who is the one that I might otherwise overlook 
or might require me to go someplace that I don't want to go. What if we prayed that prayer every single day, God, show me the sheep that you want me to go after. Show me the one you want me to love. When this happens, it's like shining this light in the world. It's showing a way forward, this kind of love that goes beyond, that seeks the ones at the margins, that finds the ones that are hungry. And I think it's simple. It's giving somebody a ride to the hospital if they need it, or it's taking a meal, but it's more than that. It's forgiving that family member that you hold a grudge against, or it's forgiving the one who slighted you. These two are the ones that we're to forgive and we're to love. And what if we could be this kind of a church? What if that was just simply what it meant to be the church? A group of people that gather, that seek to love. And then when we draw in these lost sheep, we throw a party. We rejoice and we delight in that. This is the real work. And I think this is the thing that we uniquely have to offer. And who's going to give it if we don't? Here's questions for you to think about. The first, who am I in the parable? Am I the Pharisee or the sinner? Most of us can probably identify with both of these. But who are you today? Where do you find yourself in the story? And who do I naturally resist loving? It's probably the hardest question there. Who do I find it most difficult to show compassion to, to be kind to, to show patience to? From whom do I withhold love? How might I go out of my way to find that person this week and show them grace? Can you think of somebody? Take a minute and think of somebody. I can think of about five. (laughs) Lastly, where in my life do I feel lost? Where have I lost hope? Where am I clinging to my pride and control? And where is God in the midst of this situation? It's a question that Patty and I will ask each other when we're in the midst of something perplexing. We say, what is God up to here? What is God doing? Where is he leading? What would it mean to, be let, to let myself be rescued by God in his way? And this is what God is doing. He's rescuing us. He's saving us. He's getting rid of that pride and that control, that obsessing, obsession, causing us to yield our hearts to his grace and his love. May we be the church, the kind of church that would love and give in this way that we might live lives that are God's masterpiece in his workmanship, and that we might live into the story that God has prepared for each one of us. Would you stand with me? If you'd like prayer this morning, I would encourage you to come down. We are going to be going right next door and uh, celebrating our dear Kelly. But um, for anybody that would like prayer, we'll be down front, Jesse and Marcia, and um, we'd love to pray with you. But I want to read these verses from Ephesians over us as we go. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good work, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen.